Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. And, and that's remarkable. Bobby, what a week it has been. The news that we had really been waiting for all offseason finally came. So we're doing this bit. Yoenis Cespedes posted his 2020 workout hype video. And really, like, I think there's no amount of... There is there is really never a time where I feel not excited for Yoenis Cespedes while also knowing that I'm ulti- ultimately going to be let down. And yet, and yet it doesn't stop me. I come back every time. Why are you going to be let down? What, are are we are we thinking that Joanna Cespedes is going to stay healthy and be a productive baseball player? Are we not? Just, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. I'm just fucking with you. Yeah, I we love him. You know, there's no way that he's going to play like 120 games this year. But this video was really special. It was really It's like a black and thing. white slow-mo him just like in a gym doing workout like dripping sweat. I'm like, "Oh my god, this brings me back to like just like a younger, more naive time when I could just look at a man built like a fucking tree and just put all my hopes and dreams into him." I saw somebody saying that he looks like CC Sabathia in some of these shots. <laughs> and I'm like, "Guess what? CC Sabathia, great long career yeah absolutely i don't know what to tell you uh i'm obviously really excited it feels very weird that UNS Cespedes plays for my team yeah i should start out by saying that because i don't remember the mets have like changed a lot in the last year you know like mcneil and alonzo are now the faces of the team Degrom is now just like this bona fide best pitcher in baseball level consistent cy young contender And when Cespedes was really, like, making his bones with the Mets, like, Matt Harvey was still good, you know? Matt Harvey was still in the league. So it it feels like he's been gone a long time because he has been gone a long time. But uh, I don't think it's unreasonable for you to get excited. This is what we do this for, right? This is why we watch these teams and put our, our energy into these corporations is because we hope that they will give us the chance to watch a human being that we love do cool things that we can't do. Yeah. To, uh, to quote Michael Scott from the office, which is a phrase you'll maybe never hear me say, there's no doubt about it. I, I am ready to get hurt again. I am, (laughs) I am here. I'm ready for the dagger to just be plunged into my heart. Uh, Alex, we're recording this on the Sunday morning before the Oscars. Uh, Before we get started, we're going to talk, we're going to talk Oscars a little later. We're going to talk oh, baseball, yeah, we are. Oscars, movie at the end of this podcast, so stay tuned. But I want to know before we get into the good stuff, what's your one Oscar win that you would be the most elated about if you saw it happen tonight? Be careful. Film Twitter is going to come for you, bro. Yeah, for real. Like sick film Twitter on you. <laughs> Big pick hive. Come cancel <laughs> Alex Baisley. Please do, honestly. Um, wow, that's a... You're really just fucking putting me on the spot up top here. Don't be such a baby. This is what we do. Don't be such a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I think that the easy one is Parasite, which should win Best Picture and also won't win Best Picture. Um, but I think it's gonna win Best Picture. You think it will? I do. All right. (laughs) He says with a little grin on his face. I predicted it. I put that on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I stand the Irishman. Also, wow. yeah, I didn't know this about you. Yeah, it's because it has labor in it. Yeah, that's it? exactly what it was. I was like unions, teamsters. That's yeah. that's my best picture. <laughs> I agree. So what? Did they push cars into the river and set 
buildings on fire. Yes. And so what that it's three and a half hours long for absolutely no reason. Just it, when you can make a three and a half hour movie, you make a three and a half hour movie. I said this many, many times and we're now bringing this back to baseball. But if people think that a three and a half hour event is going to bother me as someone who watches 100 Mets games a year. Yeah. They got another thing coming. Yes. They, everybody who watched The Irishman and thought it was too long is fucking weak. Yeah. Try watching some baseball games. Oh, my God. Try watching it's- Try watching a a four to three baseball game or even worse try watching a seven to five baseball game in which neither starter was good yeah fair although what i will say and then after this we can move on and talk about actual baseball things now the I, second best player in the league got traded yeah but you know that's that's second fiddle to these more important topics um i watched the super bowl last last weekend that was last weekend yeah it was i watched the sure. super bowl last weekend what a week what a week it has been. Oh my God. There's no action in football. Wow. How can Rob Manfred be like, our sport is uniquely slow and we must do something to change it? Jesus Christ. That's a that's like a five-hour endeavor. Just consuming a football game. Consuming the most important football game. Yeah, but what you're not talking about is they get to uh, hit each other in the head. Oh, that's what people like to watch. That's true. That's, yeah. You didn't enjoy that part? I that was my my favorite part was the concussions yeah yeah my favorite part was that every play looks basically identical mm-hmm. you can't tell the difference yep exactly my favorite that's part the thing was that Shakira, happens in baseball but you know <laughs> okay Alex Mookie Betts got traded Steve Cohen backed out of the Mets deal Jessica Mendoza is no longer a analyst for the Mets and is not in the Sunday Night Baseball booth we are going to talk about all of those things but before we do that I am Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Paisley. And this is Tipping Pitches. Here's the trade. And I'm going to say this, and it feels wrong, but I'm just going to say the parameters of the trade anyway. It's Mookie Betts and David Price and Cash for Alex Verdugo. Did I miss any parts of that? Excluding the twins part of it? Because like mm. in theory, the Red Sox get um Brewster Gratterall. Brewster Gratterall. And the Dodgers are giving up Kenta Maeda as well. Um and then there's the whole Jock Peterson trade, which is like contingent on lots of lots of moving parts here, but it effectively amounts to the Dodgers give up Maeda and Verdugo and get mm-hmm. the second best player in baseball and get the Red Sox to eat half of David Price's contract. So like they could, you know, you could do a lot worse. So we're recording this, like I said, on Sunday morning before the Oscars, it's February 9th. This trade has changed a lot in the last few days. Um, medical concerns over Brewster Gratterall's arm and his Tommy John have popped up. He he missed all of 2016 with a with Tommy John. Um, he's a hard throwing, heavy set, right handed reliever. He touches 102 on occasion. He's really good. Like he's he's a very, very good reliever. Like he came up last year and he was a bit of a sensation for about a week. And I know this because Michael Bauman would not stop slacking his name and being like, This is my new guy. Yeah. Well, and he is a a quote unquote starting pitching prospect. And like that sort of thing doesn't really exist, but like that's why in part why he's ranked so highly is this idea that he could end up in the rotation. And while at the same time, everyone knows that these kind of hard throwing guys with not great command and injury history, like, yeah, high chance he ends up just being a really good closer. And that's fine. If you did a Google search, you'd figure that out in two minutes. And apparently what the Red Sox didn't do was a Google search and find that out in two minutes. And so, uh, and so everyone starts yelling at you about how you made this dumbass trade. And then you say, oh, wait, he's going to be a reliever? No, 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 never mind. We need more. I just, it's, the- it's kind of really problematic to me the way that this is unfolded. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't want to know all these machinations. I don't want the people to break the news before it actually happens. I don't want trades to be done and undone. It just makes for really uncomfortable situations. It's like the Wilmer Flores thing all over again. Yes. Except if, if Wilmer Flores was spooky, that's good. Yeah, well, I mean, it puts a lot of players. I mean, we were just saying, like, that was seven or eight players that we named, six or seven players just now, if you include the the trade with the Angels. 
And 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 they wake up and they're like, my life might be different today than it was it, tomorrow. It puts, and then they wake up the next day and they're like, my life might be back to the way that it was three days ago. Yeah, it puts a lot of players in limbo as spring training is literally about to start. Like pitchers and catchers are reporting in days. So and and these players have no idea where they're going to end up. And it's incredibly it's incredibly unfair to them and the Red Sox doing this to just like cover their asses is just incredibly craven. As someone who has recently uh woken up with a big change in employer, uh I can tell you it really puts you through the emotional gamut. <laughs> and obviously, you know, this is part of the game in baseball. But this is a real-life thing for them. So, I don't know. Didn't expect to talk about that before we actually talk about what this means for Mookie Betts and what this means for baseball. Um, you know, you and I talked about this last week, and we've talked about this throughout the whole offseason. We talked about this when the GM meetings happened, and I think Jeff Passan was reporting what went on during those. I mean, there's no reason to mince words about this, right? Like, this is the worst move that Boston could have made. They found the worst version. And they made it. And I think that this is everything that we've said it was going to be. This is bad for labor. This is bad for baseball. This is bad for the Red Sox. This is bad for Red Sox fans. Um, This is bad for competitive balance in baseball. Like the Dodgers were already probably the best team in the NL. And they just got a lot better. Because they just added that Mookie Betts just became their best player. And they were already the best team. So it feels exactly how I thought it was going to feel. But I think that it's important to state plainly that in a normal labor structure, shit like this does not happen. It does not happen. You don't willingly give up the best players that you have because you don't want to pay them what they're worth. And I should say, this is happening in my view because Mookie Betts said, I'm going to get what I'm worth. And he's doing that for the union. He's doing that for raising the ceiling of what players can get paid. He's saying, I'm going to hit free agency. I'm not going to take a hometown extension. I'm not going to do the the Arenado extension, even though that's a shit ton of money. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm going to go through the process and I'm going to make you earn it. And if you're going to bluff me, John Henry and the Red Sox, I'm just going to go through with it anyway. And you can trade me. I'll go play for somewhere else. I don't care. And from every report, he wanted to play in Boston. He wanted to stay there. He seems like a great guy. He seems like a great person who was part of that community. And the Red Sox were willing to just give all of that up because they literally don't want to write the check. They just don't want to write the check for the three years that they're going to be over the luxury tax. That check amounts to about $10 million. $10 million that you save by trading the second best player in baseball. You get, I, I, you know, and, and you also save the money, quote unquote, by trading bets and price, about $75 million in, um, in commitments. But at the end of the day, the, the rationale for this was we need to get under the luxury tax. This is the best way to do it. They have saved $10 million. That's a, that's a franchise that is worth, worth billions of dollars. The fact that like I think teams basically wave their hand at the luxury tax and don't really expect look f- fans to like look any closer into it. They're like, "Oh yeah, it's a tax. No one wants to pay a tax. That's why would you do that?" I <laughs> I would pay every single tax in the world to get Mookie Betts on my team. I would pay a personal tax. Just like I I'll give a dollar to the A's every single day just to have Mookie Betts on my team. And I think every other wow. fan would too. Wow. I'm putting this on Twitter and tagging the A's. <laughs> Alex Baisley commits $365 a year to <laughs> Oakland. Alex Baisley starts a GoFunding uh, campaign to get Mookie Betts on our team. We, I mean, we can start a lot of GoFundMe campaigns for baseball these days. I, I think there's like the running joke on Twitter that's like, GoFundMe is not healthcare. I think GoFundMe is also not baseball ownership. <laughs> Um, not yet at least it's pretty bad that we're at the stage of capitalism where GoFundMe is just like an artificial safety net but hey it is what it is we're all fine Um, I was listening to uh, I was listening to my boss Bill Simmons' podcast and he was talking about how he's been a lifelong Red Sox fan he's obviously a big Boston guy 
And he was saying that as far back as he could remember, there was never one thing that any ownership group did. And this is all during the time where they were hopeless and bumbling and they couldn't get themselves back to the World Series after the Babe Ruth trade in literally 1919. And throughout all of that, he was devoted and committed and everything. But this was the one thing where he le- he legitimately thought, I don't know if I'm excited to root for the Red Sox this year. And Bill has never wavered from rooting for any team in his life, no matter what they do that has pissed him off. He's a diehard, true, bleeding for the Celtics and Red Sox and Patriots fan. And to hear him say that, I think, put it in real context, because it's not just us, man. It's not just the people who think about and talk about and and live this ideology that baseball should do right by its fans more often and baseball owners should spend more to do right by their fans and keep superstars because that is what fans love above all else. It's everyone. And it takes someone like Mookie Betts, who is the second best player in baseball. We've said that phrase a few times now, but that is really undercutting what he really is. What he is is a generational talent. He's only second best because perhaps the greatest baseball player of all time is playing in the same exact era as him. He is the best player. He may be the best player the Red Sox would have ever had by the time it's all said and done. He has that chance. And the Red Sox have been around since day one, my guy. (laughs) And there can be no more stark example of a team doing wrong by its fans than this. There can be nothing worse. Like, can, can you think of anything worse? It's one thing when the A's, whose motto is to do this, whose MO is to develop these young stars, sell them at their peak value, and continue to do that in the future. It's another thing when the Red Sox have made every indication that Mookie Betts is their franchise superstar. They won a World Series with him. He won an MVP. He's the best player that they've had since Ted fucking Williams. And they have the money to sign him, and they don't do it. That's an entirely different proposition And it's one that I really just, I knew my brain was telling me it was true. And, and some part of me, my, my lizard brain was telling me that this isn't possible, that nobody would ever do this to their fans. I can't believe I feel fucking empathy for Red Sox fans. Fuck that. But I do. I really do. I'm so sorry if you're a Red Sox fan listening to this. Um, Andre Drummond, who, uh, basketball player. Was recently what? recently traded. <laughs> Where are you going with this? Traded from the Detroit Pistons to the Cleveland Cavaliers, somewhat out of nowhere. Tweeted regarding this trade. Uh, if there's one thing I learned about the NBA, there's no friends or loyalty. I've given my heart and soul to the Pistons. To have this happen with no heads up makes me realize even more that this is just a business. I love you, Detroit. Copy paste that tweet onto every single major trade that has happened like over the last five or six years the distillation of players giving their all to a franchise and and then when the franchise doesn't see them as a worthy investment anymore just just throwing throwing it out the door saying mookie you were great you got us our world series and you made us some money and now frankly we we need to find different ways to make money that's like that's all it boils down to. How I said this, I said this when when we talked about this last. How is this not a worthwhile investment? I need somebody to explain it to me. You know, like like the Twitter joke at somebody who understands the baseball economy. Please help me with my budgeting. You know, what what part of keeping Mookie Betts, who can be a ten plus WAR player, given dollars for WAR? What part of him is not worth the contract? And I know $400 million sounds like a lot of money. That's what these teams make in a year, you know? That John Henry is worth several billion dollars, and this is not his only revenue stream. He owns Liverpool, who is, I mean, like, maybe legitimately just printing money in in England based on their success and based on the way that TV rights deals work over there for the Champions League, which Liverpool is in year after year because they finished in the top two in the Premier League for the last few years. That was soccer hour with Bobby Wagner. <laughs> I can't understand how this isn't, doesn't make sense money-wise and doesn't make sense culture-wise. And you, we can talk all we want about how, how those two things are linked and whether they're not and whether you believe they're not. But even if they were completely mutually exclusive, it still makes sense from both perspectives to want to keep Mookie Betts. It still does. I, I, like I said on Twitter, 
one of the worst trades in NBA history is the Thunder giving up on James Harden and getting back basically nothing. And it was because they didn't want to pay the luxury tax. They knew that James Harden was going to put them two, three, four, whatever, $5 million over the luxury tax for a couple of years. And granted, the luxury tax is more punitive in basketball than it is in baseball. You pay a, a multiplication of how far you are over, depending on how many years you've gone over, which is not what it is in baseball. There's no penalty for repeater. This trade is like if the Thunder did that, except they got the same package back and they gave up Kevin Durant, a generational superstar who has swung multiple titles in the last five years. And people talked about that trade as one of the worst trades in the history of sports because of what James Harden went on to become. Well, Mookie Betts is already that. He's already an MVP. He's already a top two player in baseball. And he's already won a World Series and proven that he can be the best player on a World Series team, which is for some reason something that we do sports radio talk about whether a a guy can lead a team in baseball despite the fact that it's mostly a one-on-one sport yeah i i think that you're right in saying like just zooming out because i feel like we get so in the weeds with all of this we know that the trade is coming we know the reasons why the the red Sox are doing it or why they say they're doing it we we have all these conversations about labor and players getting what they're worth and team's commitment to fans, but like ignoring all of that, wiping away, you arrive at the game from, from the perspective of someone who like doesn't follow it closely at all. And you just like, look at this and you're like, what, (laughs) what, (laughs) why? Like in, in no uncertain terms, is this a good trade? Just like from the perspective of someone who is a fan of the Red Sox or who's a fan of the sport, you can't look at this and be like, yeah, I a little weird, but I see it. And I think that like that's getting very obscured in the narrative because we have just accepted the idea that the Red Sox were going to do this. Like, and once you operate from that, like it's very easy to be like, yeah, it's bad. What does it say about the the state of labor? And what does it say about the Red Sox plans for the future? But like the first step is we should not be taking the owners at their word. We shouldn't just yeah. operate from the effect of, of being like, oh, well, it was a foregone conclusion anyway. So like they probably could have got something better for Mookie Betts. It's like, you know what you get? Uh, you know what's better than getting a better player for Mookie Betts is just having Mookie Betts. That's, there's your answer. Yeah, it all strikes me as like, behavior that you wouldn't accept in any other aspect of the world or your life like let's say like you you spent a bunch of money to buy a restaurant you built up that restaurant you hired executive chefs you invested in that restaurant and you started getting written about in eater and you started getting all these accolades and they talked about you <laughs> in in uh, bon appetit This is a food podcast now. Everything was going great. Bear with me here. Mm -hmm. Everything was going great. You got a Michelin star. Oh, shit. We got a Michelin star. You got a fucking Michelin star. Fuck. And then you got another Michelin star. And maybe you even got a third Michelin star. And maybe you were like a New York Times, like, critics pick, you know? Literally. Even better than a Michelin star, I guess. (laughs) The elite media. And everybody talks about how you've, done a great job building up this restaurant and then one offseason offseason back into baseball (laughs) one year one summer you just decided that you were going to just set the restaurant on fire for the insurance money that is what the red sox just did they spent a decade building this team the prospects the investment they developed the stars they got their michelin star in mookie bets they got their other michelin (laughs) star in the world series and they just set it on fire for insurance money. It just does its behavior that access is a part of the brain that I must not have because I don't have a billion dollars, right? Or, or maybe it's a part of the brain that I do have because it hasn't atrophied from the billion dollars that I have. You know, I know not to do something that's fucking stupid like this. Mookie Betts is the Red Sox Michelin star is not really where I thought we'd end up with this conversation but I also, I also i don't hate it <laughs> that was like a big sports talk radio moment for me yeah nicely done thank you do you have anything else to add on mookie bets no but i 
at this point, at this point, I would like to see the trade go through because I, for the sake of the players involved, and I, it, I, it puts the Twins in a better position to compete. It certainly puts the Dodgers in a better position to compete, and I, I want the Red Sox as an organization to fall on their face as much as possible in this because I think that that's, I think that. The public backlash has already been somewhat swift, and I'd like to, I don't know, we should keep carrying that torch. Like, it's not done. It's the, 2020 is a season of roasting the Red Sox. I hope they lose, like, 90 games. I, <laughs> I Make no bones about it. I hope they suck. Yeah. And I'm sorry to all the Red Sox fans. I'm sorry to all of the other players on the Red Sox team who didn't deserve this, but I hope that they are just horrible. I hope that every one-run game they lose... I hope that every closer turns into what Edwin Diaz was for the Mets last year. It's just, I, I don't hope people get injured, but I hope that every person just slumps. The Red Sox are like in their late stage Joe Biden presidential run of their, uh, of their franchise. You <laughs> Let's know? just throw another metaphor into this. Like just we're just, fun. you know, yeah, we, we do the political metaphors. And, uh, and at this point, they're just saying words that they aren't really sure are words. And they're cursing out potential supporters and telling them to go root for someone else because they don't have what you have to offer. It's all, I do want to point out uh, that Bauman pointed this out on the MLB show that it's it's testing fate in a way that I personally would not feel comfortable testing fate in to trade Mookie Betts 100 years after trading Babe Ruth. I'm not saying the Red Sox are going to go 100 years without winning the World Series. But, but you're not not saying it either. I'm not not saying that. You don't see me knocking on wood for the Red Sox. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, should, we, should we talk about, um, about another owner now? Yeah, I, I, do, I do want to talk about the Wilpons and Steve Cohen. But last thing on Mookie, the, the slightest smallest sliver of a silver lining is that I'm going to pay way more attention to Mookie Betts this year, which is something that I haven't done enough of because he oh, yeah. is just incredible. You're also going to, you're also going to literally pay more to see to Mookie see Betts him. this year yeah, I'm gonna go. <laughs> because the Dodgers are going to bump those prices up. Hey, every day is Mookie Betts day. Pay $90 to get into the stadium and 150 for parking. Nah, dude, the Dodgers, when they play on weekdays and they play shitty teams, it doesn't matter the stars on their team. They're not going to be able to charge the Dodgers fans won't stand for that. They want you can't charge me a hundred dollars for police receipts to see Mookie Betts play the the fucking I don't know who's gonna be bad next year. The the fucking the the Marlins the on a Thursday. Marlins. I'm gonna be going. I will be going. Why don't you move out here and come with me? <laughs> okay, so Steve Cohen. Steve Cohen. I don't get this. <laughs> This is a big time explain this to me podcast. I know we're supposed to be in theory experts. Are we even? I don't know. We've talked about baseball for like a hundred and whatever episodes together. And we think about baseball a lot, but I just can't pretend to know like the economics of this deal well enough to know why Steve Cohen would just back out like this. It certainly smells to me. Of Jeff, fail son Jeff Wilpon stepping in at the last minute and being like, actually, I wanted to be this. And Steve Cohen being like, I don't need this, you know? I'll take my $13 billion somewhere else. <laughs> um, so, so if you don't know, Steve Cohen was in, in a, it was preliminarily reported that Steve Cohen, hedge fund billionaire, noted international criminal, um, which, which is not exclusionary of every other billionaire, most billionaires, criminals. But, he was in a reported deal to buy the Mets for, or buy an ownership stake of the Mets, majority ownership stake of the Mets. Uh, he currently owns 8% of the team. He was looking to own 80% of the team, so he was going to buy 72% and buy the Will Ponds out of their majority controlling stake. Um, and he was going to pay $2.6 billion for that. So that values the Mets at about $3.7 billion which is infuriating for me to hear that number, knowing what they've spent year over year in the last five years when ostensibly they're in a contention window and the way that they've short-shrifted the opportunity to capitalize on that contention window. But all that being said, um, the deal fell through. And I do feel like I, I you know, we're not going to talk about like the economics of baseball and like what this means for uh, the viability of it in the future that the Mets are still worth $3.7 billion or anything like that. I think uh, aside from the typical Wilpon bullshit, 
I think I'm just a little personally frustrated that I had to show my ass in terms of being Sebi excited about a billionaire owning the, another new billionaire owning the team. <laughs> I feel like I got uh, I feel like I got jerked around a little bit. So it's been quite a a saga over the last week as the the stories have started to roll out about why this deal ultimately fell apart, and it really just the sense that I get is it was a lot of really rich men being pretty unreasonable in what they were asking of other really rich men. So as I think we have stated, it'd be like that. It sometimes it'd be like that. Yeah. Um, As I think we stated before the, the terms of the deal were basically that Cohen buys the Mets, the Wilpons still essentially retain control over the franchise for a five-year period. And then Cohen transitions into being the, the actual face of the ownership. And yeah, like he, he gets to place someone as COO or he gets to execute as COO. Right. Exactly. Which is the the position that Jeff Wilpon, son of Fred, Fred Wilpon, who is a majority owner of the Mets now holds. So, and it sounds like that what happened was Cohen thought that that would be a largely ceremonial position for the Wilpons that they would essentially just be like, um, what do you call it? Like owner emeritus like special advisors. Like, yeah. Like, oh they, yeah, o- owner emeritus. <laughs> or uh, it's like when you, it's like when you, uh, when we turned over the reins to the student newspaper, and you, we still had to be listed on the masthead because we held a position so yes, high for ex- a while. Yeah, exactly. So it sounds like Cohen thought that like they would essentially just be like puppets, and he would be di- dictating all the finances. Former owner at large. <laughs> Former owner at large. Yes, exactly. And the Wilpons very much wanted to actually control the team for the next five years, and it seems like. Both of them were so weird. Both of them were just really stupid in how they went about it because just start a fucking you, dynasty fantasy league, Fred yeah. and Jeff. Like, I don't get wanting to make all these baseball decisions. You're not good at it. Yeah. No. If I wasn't good at something, like if I was really actually bad at podcasting and everybody was telling me all the time on Twitter how bad we were at podcasting, I would just stop. <laughs> I would maybe consider stopping. Ah, billionaires known for listening to the masses about how good they are at something they do. <laughs> Um, it is, <laughs> it's good joke. It's against, um, it's against MLB rules for there to be like multiple people at the front of the organization, like dictating how money is spent. And it seems that just Steve Cohen had no idea that that was the case. He'd be able to have the will ponds in their position, but then just tell them how to spend the money. And Steve Cohen should have came and hang out with me, hung out with me last week while I was reading the CBA. He really should have. Seems like the theme just of this me episode, the theme just the, vibing. The theme of this episode is a lot of really rich people just not doing proper research before walking into an agreement. That just feels like where we are. Rich people don't read my column. And so Cohen tried to make like you know an eleventh hour change in the agreement, which just fucked it all up. He was basically like, wait, 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 can I actually control the team for the next five years? And then I'll control the team also for the decades after that. And the Wilpons were like, fuck off, dude. As as you should, I guess. Whatever. Who cares? I don't know. I don't, I don't care who anyone thinks is right in this. I don't, no, I don't, nobody is right. N- nobody's All right. I know is, okay, take a shot, but this is Rob Man- Manfred's fault. Okay, I don't mean to blame every single problem on Rob Manfred. I really don't because I I understand candidly that he is doing the bidding of all of the 30 owners like that. That's just a fact of life. It's a fact of sports leagues. That's the way that the structure has been built, the management structure. But it, it, it is Rob Manfred's job to find owners who are doing things that are in the best interest of baseball franchises and neither the Wilpons nor apparently Steve Cohen, who was not doing his research, as you said, are are going to be doing what's in the best interest for the Mets. Like, they, he allowed Bruce Sherman... The way that it works is that the commissioners vet these owners. They and a team at the MLB front offices, and I'm sure that the other MLB owners have people on this team as well. 
they vet the owners and they decide, is this person going to do what's best for the franchise viability for the future? Now, that means something different to you and me than it means to Rob Manfred. To Rob Manfred, it means, is this guy going to keep this team financially sound or are we going to have another Fred McCourt? And to us, it would mean, is this guy going to be interested in owning a baseball team and doing right by the millions of fans of that baseball team? And clearly, Rob Manfred has chosen to think of these teams as investments. And because that's the way that the buyers want it, that's the way that the the demand has asked for them to be thought of. Because just look at what Bruce Sherman did with the Marlins. (laughs) Like he came in and bought a distressed asset and now he is turning profit on that asset by putting Derek Jeter in charge and having Tom Verducci write fluff pieces about him while they're still not spending and they're just said sending away all of their good players who cost money. Um, I think this is a failure of Rob Manfred to think that Steve Cohen was going to just come in and do right by the Mets to begin with, you know, and now they're apparently looking for different owners to come in and buy the Mets from the Wilpons, but they have let this problem fester with the Wilpons to a point where it almost feels impossible to get them out of the team because their stink is all over this franchise from top to bottom. And, and what I mean by that is when I say that this sniffs, this smells like Wilpon bullshit, I don't see how anything in the future could not smell like Wilpon bullshit because everything about the way that the Mets are owned and operated comes from Fred and Jeff Wilpon. There's no two ways about it. Like that, that is why every mistake has been made in the last 10 years. And I, I'm not going to sit here and act like they haven't done anything good at all. They've given us a lot of really cool, fun, young players. And um, I love the Mets. But to think that this is not a problem that Rob Manfred let happen for the last 10 years as the Wilpons were recouping their own personal investments after the Bernie Madoff scandal. I don't know how you can see it that way because the Wilpons should have been out. They, they shouldn't have been able to hold the Mets organization hostage to recoup the money on their crooked investments. <laughs> like, sorry, you made this bed, Rob Manfred and Bud Selig, and now you got to lie in it. Now you got to wait for Steve Cohen, who is a dick swinging 13 billionaire to come in and just be mad about how things are going to operate with your dipshit owner Wilpons. Like that—that's just what it is. You're never going to have a clean sale of the Mets. You're not, because this was about as clean as it gets. He's got the money, man. He has got the money. He's already part owner of the team. You're just literally passing money between two guys who already sit in the same room together, and they can't figure it out. Yeah, Manfred absolutely should have stepped in and said, "Hey, Wilpons. Hey, Jeff. Cut the bullshit. All right. You got. You you have the money to operate this team or not." And if you do, great. Then act like it. And if you don't, fucking sell to Steve Cohen, who does. That's it. Rob Manfred, quit being a wilting flower at the table. <laughs> a wilting violet. Yeah, I don't even have the energy to be upset at Rob Manfred about this. There's like so much else going on. I'm just like, I need to redirect some of my rage, man. <laughs> I, Steve Cohen's an easy target. So Rob Manfred gets a pass from me today. <laughs> do you have any other Steve Stevie Cohen takes? <laughs> Literally, no, I don't. I really don't. Have you watched, I, have you watched Billions? No. No? No, because I heard it was like worse succession. It is worse succession. It's different though. You can, so like succession, you, you have to pay attention because it, it earns that respect. You know, you'd feel bad if you were just kind of like on Twitter and texting throughout succession. I don't know. Maybe I, I shouldn't speak for you. Do you tweet throughout succession? Yeah. Oh, I live. Oh, I have a succession alt account where I just live tweet the episodes. You're joking, but that's something that you would do. <laughs> anyway, you're just you're just cosplaying as Kendall Roy. Uh, Billions is like you can just kind of chill. You don't have to pay that close attention. Every once in a while, a celebrity comes on screen. The storylines are not that hard to follow, and it's just uh. Anyway, the whole point of this is that Bobby Axelrod is based on Steve Cohen. So if you watch Billions, you'll have more opinions on Steve Cohen, maybe. All right. Well, it sounds like I have a homework assignment then. It's pretty long homework homework assignments, like four seasons. Uh, okay. <laughs> if we don't want to talk more about Steve Cohen, the man, why don't we talk about Jessica Mendoza? Uh, yeah, tough, uh, tough couple weeks for her. She's been ousted from both her role in the Sunday Night Baseball booth and as her... Uh, position as a special advisor for the Mets. 
And she's going to she's going to hang around with ESPN. She's still going to be involved, I think, in their programming. It sounds like, but she's not going to be making those Sunday night baseball appearances anymore. Which sucks. Is the Sunday but, night know. baseball booth thing tied to the Astros take? I either explicitly or impl- implicitly. I think that there's been a confluence of things that have come up over the last few months, and my guess is that ESPN was looking for an easy way to get rid of her, which she really doesn't deserve. She's not the weakest link in that broadcast booth, but I think it felt like an easy excuse for people clamoring to be like, get Jessica Mendoza out of there. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And they're going to bring in, you know, someone who is inoffensive to the, like to the old white guys who are a fan of the game. Right. You know, they're going to put, I don't know, Mark DeRosa in there or their their own John Smoltz or something like that. You know, they're going to get Eric Burns in the broadcast booth and he's going to be witty and a little clever and they, it's going to be pretty boring. Dallas Braden, baby. Let's get God, it. God, no, please no. You don't need more of that in your life? Oh, God. I, I guess what I will say is I think that in all of this, the fact that Jessica Mendoza has taken so much heat is I think both stunning, but also like not surprising because she has been unfairly, but she has been a very divisive um, personality over the last couple of years in the broadcast booth. And I, I got deserved criticism for the, for having like one foot in analysis, baseball analysis and one foot in like, literally working for a team like those two things don't match up and those are real conversations that we should have but we i also literally had them we we did have in them in the very but, early days of this podcast while we were still in the basement of WNYU but that doesn't feel like it's tied to anything that's happening to her right now it feels like she's more just being punished because i because she's a, a a woman who is in who is public facing who has drawn criticism just because of that and ESPN was probably done with it it, it strikes me as particularly inequitable because Arod is in the same booth and is a Yankees front office advisor yes is that because he played professional baseball he's allowed to just break that rule is that because he's one of the 15 greatest baseball players of all time like does this rule? I mean, I'm, I'm this. There's no point in even asking a question. I'm, I'll just make a statement. This rule just applies differently to different people, clearly, as evidenced by all of the history of baseball. Yeah, but it's interesting timing that she's stepping down as the Mets, as a Mets front office advisor, because it, it it's hard for me to not think that the two are linked now. But then she's not staying in the Sunday night baseball booth, so like. Why step down as a Mets advisor now when you've taken the flack over the last two years for being both talking about the Mets on TV and radio and advising the Mets while not on TV and radio? Um, Brody Van Wagenen's statement on Twitter said that Jessica Mendoza submitted her resignation. So perhaps this is her saying, I understand the conflict of interest. I understand why people would be upset about that and I'm going to take a step back from being a front office advisor and I'm just going to focus on uh, baseball analysis on on TV and stuff. But it, it's a weird move for then ESPN to be like, now is our chance to boot her out of the Sunday night baseball booth. And and I I don't want to take away her agency in this either because it's very possible that it was a mutual agreement that, I mean, you know, she's moving on um, to be like a, you know, a quote unquote solo analyst for, um, for some national games, which I, I guess what means more like sideline reporting is how I understand it. Maybe, or maybe like in, she might be like an in-studio analyst and they might cut to her like between innings or things like that, or for like whip around style segments when they come back from commercial break. I don't know. Right. Exactly. So it seems like she is going to. I, I and I think that she actually really excels in those um 
she has done bits like that before, whether they're like individual, you know, they will cut away and it's Jessica Mendoza talking with Jock Peterson or, you know, whatever is just standing with someone in the batting cage and there, and she's a really engaging personality, I think. And she knows a lot about the game. And when she's not kind of tied down in this booth, um, with like, <laughs> with like, Two John guys and <laughs> Alex Rodriguez, yeah. <laughs> like I think she very well could excel in this role, but I think it is it is very interesting the timing of all of this. And like you were saying, like Arod has similar conflicts of interest, and we didn't have those discussions. Pedro Martinez called out Mike Fires for being a whistleblower, and I I'm not seeing any change in his employment. So like what. What's, yeah, man, what's, but he's Pedro what's Martinez. What's going on here? Oh, I forgot that he's Pedro Martinez. He literally Martinez. just said it out loud. You said his name. He's Pedro that's, Martinez. Think about that. Yeah, that's true. All right, let's move on. I don't I don't know if we can continue to talk even semi-intelligently about this situation without knowing any more facts. Uh, we're going to talk about the Oscars in a second, but before we do that, I, I want to ask you, how would you describe this baseball offseason? What's the one word? that you would use to describe it. I have a few words floating around in my head, but we're now a couple weeks away from spring training starting. We're like a week away from pitchers and catchers. Um, It's been a lot, but that's not very uh, descriptive. So how would you describe it? I think it has been very disheartening. Mm. Um, it, It feels like everything that, could have gone wrong on poorly this off season, like, like went poorly. Like we really checked all the boxes. Chris Bryant lost his grievance. Mookie Betts got traded. The Astros are embroiled in this organization wide cheating scandal. And I think that it has raised just a lot of questions about like where the sport goes from here, ethically and morally. And, and kind of being like th- this off season being like the clearest distillation of like where baseball is headed, whether it's like how it implements technology, um, and data to just like get ahead, whether it's like right or wrong in its implementation, but just like using whatever you can to get that edge or just like treating players like numbers on a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. And. That's I'm just uh, I'm just exhausted, man. Yeah. Are you exhausted? Because I, like I this season has just worn this off season has just worn me out. Two words that I had in my head were exhausting and uh mercurial. Because if you remember, if you can access those files of your brain so so long ago, at the beginning of the off season it was like, look at all these big ass contracts. This is sick. You know, look at the Padres in on trying to get all these superstars for a lot of money. Look at the Yankees giving out $325 million for Garrett Cole. And we were sort of like, this is good. This is good spending. We feel weirdly okay. Um, but that was just like the uh, that's like the opening uh, scenes when they get to Sweden in Midsommar, where they're like, this is so beautiful. Everything's great. Let's do drugs. And then they get axed, murdered to death, lit on fire in a fucking bear suit um the movie watcher has logged on (laughs) yeah i think i think exhausted is right because everything happens so much all the time man like we're i can't wring my hands anymore you know (laughs) it's it's like this feels like eons ago but one of the first things to happen in the off season was the Washington Nationals going to the White House and embracing God. Donald Trump, right? Like, I forgot about that. That happened. And we saw that, and we were like, fuck, this is awful. This feels really low. This is low. How much worse can we get? And boy, how much worse we could get. I, and, now, and now here we are, and we're just like, I have no idea how this season, how this season is going to play out. Pitch me on why 2020 is going to be a great year for baseball. Shohei Otani. That's the whole pitch? That's it? That's the tweet? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, not to beat like a dead horse, but I think what we have talked about previously, just in like there being a Tipping lot of... pitches. Not to beat a dead horse. <laughs> but like, I think they're amid 
all of the shit that's going on, like there are a lot of, I think, players that are flipping the convention of the sport on its head. And mm-hmm. that is something that I'm excited to, to witness. I don't know how that'll go. I'm sure there will be more scandals this season. I'm sure MLB will find a way. Rob yeah. Manfred will conjure some up, but yeah, I I think stars is the way to lean. Um, you know, when the NBA was in trouble in the '80s, in the late '70s with tape delays, and they couldn't get people interested in their sport, and they were showing NBA Finals games the next day. I think what came along was stars, and and they really figured out how to embrace that and how to gamify that in a specific way. So I think maybe we can try that. We're gonna try. You and me, Alex. So come along with us for the ride, our fellow listeners. We hope that we can be helpful in that way. We're going to take one quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk Oscars 2020, how it relates to the baseball world. There's not a lot of good baseball movies anymore. Oh, I'm glad you said anymore. <laughs> it's like, we are don't... you just saying there aren't any in general? Oh, no, 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 no. How, how dare you no, accuse no, me of such no. slander? Uh, no, I think we've uh, lost touch with the baseball world and its unique richness and texture. Uh, and the, the best baseball movies have passed us by. And... I, for one, find it unfortunate to be caring so much about baseball in a time where they're not making the the 2010s and 2020s versions of Bull Durham and Sandlot and et cetera, et cetera. You know, Moneyball is kind of a unique recent example, but um, that was- Excuse me, have you you not seen Trouble with the Curve with Clint Eastwood and and Amy Adams and Justin Timberlake? That's a a modern field of dreams. That movie's bad. (laughs) It's not good. Why? Why? Why is it this way? Is it just what I suspect? Is it that people don't care about baseball on a cultural level like they used to? Um, it's possible, but like we also don't see very many like mainstream sports movies in general anymore, do we? Like at least like big blockbuster ones. And I I don't know if it's just like fatigue from the same old stories. I think a lot of them kind of mine the same sort of content um, mm-hmm. of underdogs uh, of you know of just camaraderie and team spirit and i think that can only take you so far i would love to see more movies whether they're fictionalized accounts or documentaries or whatever they are that mine some of baseball's past that is maybe a little bit more unfamiliar or a Mm. little more left of center than some of the stuff we usually get. And there are a lot of really creative movies out there that kind of bask in the nostalgia of the game, whether that's, you know, the natural or field of dreams or the rookie. Um, I think that's what a lot of the most famous and good. You know, the natural is right off of man. I watched that in the last year. That's a slog. That movie's fucking long. (laughs) It's yeah, slow. it is a long it's like movie. Dramatic music playing the whole time as he's like throwing in slow motion. Oh my god, that score is incredible! Yeah. Incredible score. But what I'll say is, like, I think there is so much like outside that picture, and I would love to see movies that just explore those unexplored storylines. A movie like Eight Men Out about the Black Sox scandal is a great film, just because I think it takes a really close look at like the people who are involved in that. Everyone knows about this scandal, but it's a very humanized retelling of it that breathes life into this just kind of myth. Yeah. We, we just might be like past the prime generation of filmmakers who grew up like caring a lot about baseball and like wanting to use their cachet to like write a script about baseball. You yeah. Know? We might be past that moment and that might be why we might not see stuff like this. So it might need a sort of exceptional story about the changing of an industry like Moneyball in order to get like a big studio with big actors and a movie that kind of matters. But I thought I was thinking about this because one, because the Oscars are tonight, but two, because I saw Ford versus Ferrari on Thursday night. And aside from whatever you think about that movie, it's just completely about white guys. There's one woman in the film and she 
embodies the role of helping the man be better. But that movie rips, man. And like, it's, it's, I think that's sort of energetic storytelling about like, it is about a sport at the end of the day, but like making it loud, making people care about it. I think like, I think that could still happen for baseball, but it's just, it's just not right now. Um, and there's sort of like two different versions of this. Like you can either have like the very cinematic version, which presents a lot of interesting challenges because it requires people to um, cinematic meaning like there's a lot of action and there's a lot of like, you see them on the field. It's hard because you have to get people who can actually play baseball, which is a hard sport to play as we've, <laughs> we've learned over time. Um, or you can have kind of like this um, whip smart, you know, uh, like mumbly script kind of Brockmeyer version. I know Brockmeyer is a TV show, but I, why don't we have more movies like that? I guess is my question. Wouldn't people see those? Yeah. And I think, I think that baseball movies like had their moment with that in like maybe the eighties or nineties, you know, like a movie like major league or even like the, the Sandlot or the bad news bears. And some of them have not aged great. There's some, well, it's some of the movies are a little off color to say. Again, the least. you snub your pitch again. <laughs> sure. Well, I still haven't seen it, but it's, it's, you know, adding it to the homework list. Little big league, like the movies like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's like, does the, does the viewer in 2020 just like demand something more, you know, like, Man, are they just interest, interested in something that makes you think a little more? What do you think of Moneyball? It's good. Okay. I, this concludes you, our conversation about Moneyball. <laughs> what, do, what do you think of Moneyball? <laughs> I think it's really good. I think um, as someone who has thought like a lot about the analytics movement in baseball, I thought it's like a little bit lacking in terms of like what that really felt like and looked like. I thought it was missing like a certain insidery feel to the yes. tensions there. I thought it was like simplified in a way that I understand because it was made by a big, big studio, but um, it's really like the last shining beacon of putting baseball on screen and having people give a shit. And I don't know if that's just because Brad Pitt was in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's what you need, right? Okay. Um, we are, uh, we're the Academy now. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> and we're going to choose just some, a couple some... of, just a couple of white dudes sitting around talking movies. Let's hand out some awards. What do you say? Let's let's hand out some awards. Are you ready, Bobby? Um, I I don't know, but I'm going to try. Okay, sounds good. Start off with best cin- cinematography. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, the Wonk has logged on. Let's get it. Um, below the line categories. Roger Deakins Hive, come get me. Uh, I think something like The Natural has incredible cinematography because it's like the scenes where he's like in the dugout and feeling like he's being pushed to the side um, because he's older and because the manager doesn't like him just has like a good, good feel in terms of like camera placement, like how you can see the field, but like you don't have a great view of what's going on it. And you feel sort of like claustrophobic and him getting stuck on the bench, but also like the earlier scenes where he's challenging the Babe Ruth figure to a, I guess just like a, he's challenging him saying that he could strike him out. Uh, I'll go with, I'll go with the natural. I do love the cinematography and field of dreams. Those large Iowa cornfields, but we'll choose a natural. All right. What's next? Uh, let's go. What about best original screenplay? I have an answer for this, but I, I'm curious what you would say. Okay. Um, I'd like to award this to Sandlot. Ooh, interesting. I think it most closely mirrors what it feels like to have baseball in your blood. You know, like this idea that what baseball is, it's about playing with your friends. It's about razzing them. It's about feeling a sense of camaraderie. It's about it being the thing that you do every day because there's nothing else more fun to do every day with your friends. And there's just like, an unbelievable incredible amount of jokes that movie is wire to wire in terms of how entertaining it is there's not really a down five minutes and even the scenes that are weird and like outside of uh outside of like when they're actually on the physical sandlot themselves um to write those lines and have kids execute them i think is really a a high bar to clear and i think they clear it extremely well 
I respect it. I respect it. I um, I think I'd go with Major League for mm. this one. Not only problematic as it is, <laughs> problematic as it is. <laughs> it's a very funny movie. Also, weirdly ahead of his time. The idea that there's a there's a baseball team that has to essentially tank on purpose so that they can um, yeah move the team to a different city and just like make more money, and the team accidentally does good. I'm like this. These are just all things that y- you see happening every year. Like at right this now. point, like right now, I, I went with Sandlot because it sort of feels like Knives Out in that way. Like it's an ensemble of really funny things happening, and there, there's never a moment where they lose you. Yeah, but I think Major League is a very valid choice. Great selection. All right, best actor, go. Susan Sarandon in Bull Durham. Okay. I'm sure you thought that I was going to go gendered like the Oscars. Fuck yeah. No, no, fuck that shit. But I think an interesting way to think about best actor is who conducts the movie, like who drives the movie the best and and who is the most irreplaceable. Um, and also like who who lives in the same ethos that the movie lives in. And I think Susan Sarandon's character in Bull Durham is like, a character that I continually come back to in terms of like loving baseball for the sake of loving baseball, surrounding herself with a minor league team. And um, I guess in a way sort of understanding the process of how someone goes from being good to being washed between Tim Robbins and Kevin Costner. Yeah. Um, and I think that like playing both of those characters at the same time um, between who she is with Kevin Costner's character and who she is with Tim Robbins character uh, is like a really high level of difficulty in a performance. And I just think that she's pretty genuinely iconic as baseball performances go. Though I will say, Kevin Costner is my, like my absolute dude. Him in Field of Dreams is just like, sign me up every day of the week, whatever. I'll cry. I got the tears for this. But yeah. um, Susan Sarandon. All right. That's I, my favorite I, baseball movie. So yeah. I, I respect it. I was I was really torn between... Robert Redford in The Natural, who I think really does really does a great job. Whatever. I'm lukewarm on The Natural. All right, fine. Uh, or, uh, or Gina Davis in A League of Their Own, playing Dottie Henson, breathes so much life into the role. And really, like, despite the fact that like Tom Hanks is the quote-unquote star, like, she, she commands that movie. And... I gotta respect it. That movie does not get the respect that it deserves when talking about like all-time great why. baseball movies. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> all right, the biggie. Yeah, I tipped my pitches a little bit here. You did tip your pitches a little bit here, but best picture, Bull Durham, La La Land. <laughs> Hold on, the card actually says <laughs> Field of Dreams. Uh, no, Bull Durham. It's Bull yeah. Durham. Yeah. Um. I think that what they did with that movie codified a thing that people think about baseball and talk about baseball a lot, but don't necessarily always see in baseball. It's like this idea, this upstart idea that you're on the precipice of something, that you're on, you're at the beginning of a long and winding road that you can't predict, but that for certain people, it's going to pay off in massive ways. And Tim Robbins' character is is on the precipice of something huge because he's extremely talented and extremely stupid and young. And I think that that is what we strive for in terms of taking uh, baseball and thinking of it as like a microcosm for the rest of our lives. And uh, everybody's delivering incredible performances. The writing in that movie is really funny, but also like profound at moments. And I do think that there is sort of a certain nostalgia for it for me. Now, I think that that is the best baseball picture. I think that Field of Dreams is maybe the most important for what baseball means in terms of American iconography and history. But uh, I think Bull Durham is sort of like the the more hipster take in terms of like what is actually a better movie. Yeah, I think that like field of dreams is like so awash in like just nostalgia for the game. Like that was basically like the conceit of the whole movie, you know Um, every single aspect of it from James Earl Jones, speech to just like having old baseball players come out. Like let's just make a field and it's ghosts of old baseball players that no one else can see unless you actually believe. Um, 
Yeah, it's but, it's sort of like Disney Channel original movie vibe with like real actors and like legitimate screenwriting and legitimate cinematography and filmmaking and everything. Yeah. But and, like at the, well, at the end of the day, like what it's standing for is sort of this like corny ass idea that like you corny. and I, we buy into, you know, do yeah. the speech, do the fucking speech. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's great. Um, James Earl Jones might be my, my best supporting actor, but hell yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. Bull Durham. It's like, has a lot to Terrence say not Man only about Hive. baseball. Log on, but follow, subscribe, rate, review. Let's get it. I feel like Bull Durham has a lot, to, as much to say about baseball as it does like life and love and struggle. I mean, that shit, it shit hits you in the feels, man. It really <laughs> does. I don't know what to say. Uh, how, about, how about you? What'd you go with? For a best picture? Yeah. I, th- I think I would probably agree with you that it's Hell Bull Durham. yeah. You and I seeing the world in similar ways. What else is new? God, we're just in our liberal bubbles over here. Shout out Tim Robbins, though. He's a legit lefty. (laughs) Hell yeah. That's my guy. Shout out Susan Sarandon, original Bernie bro. Fuck in right. Wow, we really just came back to like Bernie broing this this exercise. Yeah, we did. The brand is strong. It absolutely is. A lot went on in the last week. I hope we did a sufficient job of processing it. What do you think, Alex? How do we do? I can't even tell, man. I my my La Colombe draft latte, triple shot draft latte is is wearing off. The Gatorade isn't doing very much to keep me going. I'm just <laughs> I'm just Quote, uh, <laughs> I need some electrolytes. That's what he said before starting this podcast. Yeah. I'm just hoping that Field of Dreams wins big tonight. That's all I can say. Uh, me too. We over the next couple of weeks, we are hoping to do a little bit of a 2020 preview. We will be doing the all gift draft as, as we've done the last two years. Um, we're hoping that that is going to be a sufficient way to preview this season. We're hoping that we can get some fun people on the podcast in the next few weeks. And uh, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe. If you've made it this far, I think you're likely to like what we're doing. This was a long one. Um, thank you for sticking it out with us. And we will be back sure as the sun will rise next Monday morning. Slide, slide into our DMs and tell us why why you think that Pride of Yankees is the best baseball movie of all time. Tell me why, tell me why Gary Cooper is your best ask, Oscar pick. Just give me all your... All your Oscars baseball hot takes. I want to hear them. Not a lot of love for Rookie of the Year in our previous conversation. No, it's true. Iconic film. Weird movie, though. Extremely strange. Okay, we're done. We're done. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. We'll see you soon.